Touchdown! Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that, time jerks. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs, and we have actual football to talk about, Nick Jacobs. I mean, it's only training camp, and they're not in pads. But it's actual football again. Um, I mean, it's it's basically a glorified minicamp at this point because the pads haven't come on yet. But still, actual football. Uh, I know you and I both got up to St. Joe a little bit. Um, how excited are you that training camp has arrived? I mean, I'll be excited when pads come on and people start hitting. But until then, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching. But I mean, I'm not like, you know. Not setting up a barbecue grill, get some hot dogs, you know, making a, an event of it right now. Man, like I was hoping you would be more excited. Like the public got to come up to training camp, you know, it feels like there's, um, you know, like, like football seasons actually arrived, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you're just like a wet blanket on my joy right now. Well, I mean, I've been described as worse before, so I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not going to be upset about that one. All right. All right. Fair. Um, look, biggest news of the week, I think. Um, of course, Orlando. Just kidding. We're not going to talk about Orlando Brown. <laughs> things up. Um, Carlos Dunlap, man. Um, you know, he's a guy, uh, highly productive pass rusher, 96 career sacks, spent 10 and a half years with the Bengals last year and a half with Seattle. I think had uh, eight and a half sacks with Seattle last year. So he's still got some some juice in the tank. So what are your impressions? Because obviously I think we, this is the role we expected Melvin Ingram would be filling, right? Like that veteran rotational edge rusher. I think Carlos Dunlap is, he's been more productive in recent years as a pass rusher, but he's, he's a little bit different guy, right? So what, just what are your initial impressions on Dunlap, how he fits in with this defensive line and, and uh, how much does it improve what, you know, what you've seen up front there for that defense? I mean, he's he's definitely a power rusher. I mean, he's a guy who's going to kind of walk a tackle back and be able to disengage a tackle's hands and be able to try to use hand fighting techniques to be able to um, get around them to get to the to the quarterback. So that that's more his style. He's not necessarily going to be a speed rusher for his size. He's going to be more of a bigger body style play off the uh, left defensive inside kind of be more of the run defender style versus playing at Frank Clark's spot and he's kind of what they were what they were trying to do a little bit with Chris Jones last year and I mean Dunlap's gonna be it, he's he's like you said he's gonna be the replacement for Ingram on that side of the ball he's not gonna be as violent as um, Ingram was with his hands because Ingram can hand fight really really quick and really really well and just stun people at times and Dunlap's not going to be that same style of pass rusher but I mean you're you're hoping you can get 15 to 30 snaps out of him a game you probably don't want to go past 30 and he can really retain his effectiveness at his at being 33 years old so he's kind of more of a you're hoping he's more of a mentor for George Karloftis and kind of gets to work with him the question you kind of ask yourself and you're going to be watching during camp at that point is can can Mike Dana um, can can anybody else be able to kind of step up and be on that same side with Frank to be more of that speed rushing style that they actually need? And I mean, because I mean, for the most part, you've you've invested in Joshua Kando. I mean, you've invested in Tershawn. I mean, I know these are D tackles, but you've invested in Tershawn Warden. You've invested in Derek Naughty. I mean, if you count up just draft picks alone, I mean, you put Colin in Saunders. 
if you count up draft picks alone, Mike Dana, that's one. Then Kando, two. Karloftis, three. Naughty, four. Saunders, five. And then Wharton, you got as an undrafted free agent. So you've you brought in six guys since Steve Spagnuolo's scheme started off. And then you can bring, you can consider Frank through trade if you want to. But you've brought in all those guys, and your pass rush has gotten collectively worse over time. I mean, and and those front four, I mean, from the reality of it is Chris Jones takes on the doubles, splits the doubles, uses his athletic ability, and there's really nobody else to help him. The one tech isn't getting the pressure that they need to. The ends aren't getting the pressure that they need to. I mean, Clark's been seeing one-on-ones, and he's not, you know, taking advantage of them. The left side sometimes, Ingram would take advantage of it and help it out a little bit once he got traded for there in the second half of the season. And you're kind of hoping Carl Loftus can give you more consistency throughout the season. But the reality of it is, like, your pass rush has just gotten collectively worse. And so the decision that has to be made is, do they need to add some additional help at one tech over the next couple of weeks? Or is that on the roster? Is there somebody they need to have behind Frank Clark? Or is that person on the roster? And I think that's what they're going to continue to decide and evaluate Um this time and then they're I still think they're gonna have to invest heavily in it next year, depending on what they do scheme wise. And if Steve Spagnolo wants to keep coaching and you know, depending on his contract status and all that stuff, like that'll be something that will have to be kind of determined in the offseason. But right now, that's where this is probably the most underrated thing that's being talked about with this defense and with this team is can Joe Cohen be the difference that they need for that pass rush with the front four? So the secondary can fly around and cover everything that they need to cover. Like that's what decides what this defense will or won't be is what Joe Cohen can do with the front four. And if he can't do that with it, then that says that you're not drafting or investing in the right skill sets that can translate in the scheme and on the football field to create pressure with just the front four to where you're not having to bring blitzes and you're not having to be, bring you know a corner off the edge or you know or two linebackers or sneak a safety up and those type of things and so that's i think that's what a lot of this month is going to be evaluating is uh is joe gonna is joe Cohen gonna have the same results that brendan daly did after he got here yeah and I mean, look, I don't think there's a magic bullet out there um, that's going to be released from another team or that's still available, um, you know, to dramatically improve that defensive line. Um, I do think, look, Carlos Dunlap, pretty clearly an upgrade over Alex Okafor. Um, So from that standpoint, you're you're much better at the left defensive end spot with Karloftis and Dunlap. So so that they're they're upgraded there. I think I can say that with confidence. They have upgraded the left defensive end position. And I think a big part of the problem with the pass rush has been, frankly, that Frank Clark is, has been hurt and has underperformed his, his contract massively uh, since, you know, really 2019. Um, the last two years, he, he just has been a shell of the guy that you, you traded for and paid all that money to. I don't think that Frank Clark's going to, I mean, look, if he rediscovers his form this year and he becomes like, you know, 2000, you know, pre-trade, uh, Frank Clark, then, then they're fine. But I, I, I would not bank on that. Um, you know, so you're right. I mean, Joe Cullen, can he get, can, can he get more of Colin Saunders and can Colin Saunders stay healthy? Cause he's a guy who athletically, you know, when, when you looked at him has some, some traits like a, a, a Chris Jones that make you think he could get after the quarterback at some point. Um, he just hasn't shown it consistently yet. And a lot of that's had to do with his durability. Joshua Kando, 
you know, I mean, coming out of high school, when he went to Florida state, he was one of the top, uh, you know, defensive end prospects from an athletic standpoint, he's got all the tools you'd like to see. I think there's one other guy that they could throw in on some, some jet packages that would be interesting is, you know, if, if Leo Chanel can't really find a, a, a role, a consistent play spot on the field in the linebacker core, you know, I mean, is he a guy that you could throw out there when Frank Clark needs a break and just use uh, him to rush the passer a little bit? I, I mean, I, but I think it's going to have to be internal options and they might have to get creative, you know, like that. And they showed a willingness by bumping Chris Jones outside last year. You know, maybe they would show some willingness with, with Leo Chanel, especially if there's an injury to a Mike Dana or somebody like something like that. And they need to come up with an internal uh, solution just because, um, I mean, that's, that fits in, you know, Chanel's a downhill kind of guy. He's going to have a little bit more speed than, than it's certainly a Mike Dana or something like that, even though he's maybe not a prototypical uh, Leo for that spot. But I think that's where it's going to have to come from is, is internally. Cause I just don't see anybody out there where I'm like, yeah, if they can just get this guy and plus now with the Dunlap signing and moving the Travis Kelsey money around, um, you know, the salary cap comes into play a little bit too. Yeah, and there's one move they would have to make if they want to uh, if they want to create some salary cap space on that roster, but uh, I don't think that's something they're probably wanting to entertain right now and try to explore. And I think they're just going to wait and see how things progress and how things evaluate there on the football field with the guys they have there on the roster and go from there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they could move some money around on on Patrick Mahomes' contract if they want to, but. They would be smart to actually pay out a few years so they can get ahead of that deal, um, especially when you look at what the market's doing uh, and and the prospect that, uh, you know, they may have to throw a few more bones uh, Patrick Mahomes' way at some point during the remainder of that deal. Yeah, and I wasn't necessarily talking about Patrick's contract. There's a certain $16.67 million right now that um, hasn't hasn't helped the squad yet. Well, and we'll, we'll certainly get to that. But first, I want to just talk about general impressions from, from camp, because I, I think um, one of the big issues hanging out there, um, and, and it's it was always going to be out there, but I think with every interview Tyreek Hill does, it gets pushed back into the news cycle, right? It's, it's almost like a secondary story to whatever Tyreek Hill says is like, oh, by the way, the Chiefs are having to, you know, rebuild their, their offense without Tyreek. Um, but... <sighs> Look, and we talked about this in the offseason that, you know, the, the wide receiver core was highly dependent on Tyreek Hill and they didn't have much in terms of uh, quality depth behind him. You know, I mean, certainly depending on how you feel about McCole Hardman Jr. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that you know, high, you know, great speed, three, four type receiver, you know, maybe a little bit miscast as a number two after Sammy Watkins left. But <clears throat> what are your early impressions of Sky Moore? Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, and what you're seeing from that group of receivers, maybe even Josh, you know, a rejuvenated Josh Gordon. Um, and what what are some realistic expectations for that wide receiver group based on early returns? Um, I mean, the biggest one that I can speak on from watching in person is going to be Sky Moore so far, just because I got to watch him two days in person. And, I mean, I got to watch uh, some quarterbacks not named Patrick Mahomes and Chad Henney that uh, – we're wildly throwing the football all over the all over the practice facility one day and uh weren't weren't exactly pinpoint accurate. And Sky went up there and tried to climb ladders and catch those and toward his body to make the catch and 
I got to see his explosiveness up close and personal when you and I did from indoor the facility there on the day it was raining on the close practice there. And um, just how, how much ground he covers in 10 yards and how quickly he covers it and the way he sells and the fakes that he makes and just how polished he is already as a route runner and kind of some of the little intricacies of being a receiver. I mean, he's much further along than a lot of the guys who have come in here as rookie wide receivers were, whether it was Tyreek or McColl or um, Demarcus Robinson. Well, I mean, Byron Pringle. <laughs> uh, Demarcus Robinson will definitely throw in there. Pringle, Pringle was a he was a quality returner that they turned into a receiver. That's yeah. that's what they were trying to get it within being undrafted. And then, so I mean, with all those guys combined, like I mean, and and Powell. Um, there's another one. Oh yeah. Um, the forgotten man. Sky, Sky's further along than they were because I've, I've at least had the luxury to be able to watch all those guys their rookie year, and I still have the memory to recall. Thankfully, you know, someday it's gonna go away too. I just already know <laughs> that. Um, the sometimes I don't even know what cereal I had the day before, so you know that's one of the useless information that I got in my head. But it helps for this podcast. Um. But, like, Moore really is one of those guys that I think he's much further advanced than those guys were. Now, does that translate into him being, you know, at that at the level of – because everybody keeps trying to ask me, like, is it, oh, is he like Tyreek? Is he like Tyreek? Uh, they're different receivers. They're different styles. Yeah. Like, what, what made Tyreek so unique when he was here in Kansas City was just his, how quick his stop and start were, which, I mean, sky's in the realm of it, but, like, Terry kind of an explosiveness on office stop and start that like most people just in this league don't have and never will. Like it's, it's just, that's just, that's just gifted to you. And he invested in that by how his, with his weight training and how he went about that and how he approached that over the years and his overall training overall to make himself even better, even quicker, even faster to where he could just outrun angles because of his stop start and explosiveness off of that. And the way he could track a ball, but maintain speed, like those are what made him unique from anybody else in the league. And so to try to think that sky Moore is just going to be that because he's fast or cause he could, he's got quick twitch ability. That's just, that's trying to compare like, you know, Hey, these uh, apples to these oranges, they're, they're the same, right? No, it's, it's not. They're different fruits. They are fruits though. So but Sky, Sky's got a lot there, a lot of promise that I think is going to do really well at the slot receiver position and work as a number three, number four type of receiver. Then not be a complimentary piece, not have to be the star of the of the offense. Yeah, a couple other things that stood out from camp too, though, relative to Sky Moore. Um, like there were a couple times when the play breaks down, and I remember one in particular instance where Shane Bouchelle got flushed and he's rolling to the right, and – Sky Moore was able to run the scram- scramble drill to perfection, found himself open at the front pylon and was able to score. So some of those intangibles, too, that you like to see, those second reaction type plays where you've just kind of got to know how to find space, how to, you know, um, you know, how to, you know, create an opening for your quarterback to, to make a play. Um, Sky Moore's already shown the ability to do that. Uh, one thing, like, do you see Sky? I mean, I've always thought of sky more as a slot guy than an outside guy you know which is another big difference obviously between between him and Tyreek um do you see sky more you know playing everywhere or do you see his value primarily in the slot especially with his ability to uh you know beat coverage off the snap with uh you know with the way he gets a release and 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 the 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 just those first few steps he has I think early on you want to build his confidence up and kind of get him in a rhythm and get him comfortable and kind of work him as the 
as a slot receiver, number three, number four type receiver, and let him go against some corners that aren't necessarily top end skill set wise, and kind of and kind of work him in that way. And as the year goes on, maybe you start working him outside a little bit more, and you kind of just see how Valdez Scantling's doing, uh, and um, how Juju Smith Schuster's doing, how is potentially Josh Gordon and Michael Hardman doing, and then you kind of adjust the offense to where you see fit as the season progresses. But I think early on you're trying to work him inside to help him become a part of that uh, of that offense and kind of get comfortable in the league before you start adding more to that, to that plate. If there's good news, I, I think it's that uh, as far as relative to the, to the, you know, the new group of receivers during OTAs and mini camp, Patrick Mahomes seemed to really have a strong rapport with Marquez Valdez Scantling and Scantling talked about how, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the way Patrick plays the position and the way Aaron Rodgers plays the position. Obviously both guys, former MVPs in the league, Super Bowl champions in the league. So you saw that rapport develop there. And then early in camp, the guy who's probably stood out the most has been Juju Smith Schuster. Um, He's made some plays down the field early in camp and, and things like that. So, I think that work they put in, in, you know, in March and April, um, you know, and, and even, uh, in, in June, July, uh, between mini camp and, and when they got up to St. Joseph has paid off and you're seeing, you're seeing that payoff. I, I do think though, that what the chiefs ultimately do with McCole Hardman jr. Will have a big impact here too, because, you know, he was drafted at a time when there was some uncertainty about Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, he was unpolished, but he had that kind of, uh, you know, world-class track star speed and he's really just been a gadget player, right? They, they bring him in motion a lot. They do, you know, jet sweeps and, and try to get him the ball, you know, uh, you know, sometimes they, they run, you know, they run the dummy motion and then get him the ball out in space in the flat, you know, on a little receiver screen, things like that. It'll be interesting to see how much McCole Hardman can take on on the, you know, can he be an outside guy? Can he be a deep threat? You know, because if you can have, if, if he can, if he can put that speed to use outside a little bit more um, and kind of replicate some of the things that, that Tyreek did in terms of being a guy who can take the top off the defense and you've got Marquez Valdez Scantling on the other side and you've got Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster and then Travis Kelsey mixing in in the slot and stuff like that. I think that the Chiefs could be every bit as explosive, if not more, because they'll just have more more weapons and it'll just be harder for defenses to cover, you know, if you've got those four, four of those five guys, or even all five of those guys on the field at the same time. Um, so I think, I think the chiefs could be, they're going to be, they're not going to have the the elite wide receiver, but I think on balance, this offense, uh, nothing I've seen so far uh, has changed my opinion that this offense could still be as good or better because the sum of the parts will be greater. And I think that's what they've been banking on with how they constructed the roster and how they've approached this. So they're going to see they're, – they're going to use this year to explore. Do you need a, a number one guy that carries the – that kind of carries the scheme? Or can you do it with a complement of your parts just like the Bengals, you know, did in, in Cincinnati and like the, the Bills are doing in Buffalo? Like can, can you make that work or do you need a Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill style – to be the one and have complimentary pieces. Do you need all of it or can you just do it with kind of complimentary pieces? And like you said, so I think that's kind of where 
I think that's where the Chiefs are exploring that this year. I think they're exploring what the D-line coach is going to be able to do because I think that in the team speed on defense, I think they identified all those as problems that kept them because if they fit, if they have one of those things go right for them last year, they're in the Super Bowl yet again. Yeah. And like, you know, you just need it in maybe in just a couple plays. So if they can if all those get fixed and all those get resolved, I mean, you're you're being able to maintain and keep where you're at even after the roster construction of other people around the league who are literally designing their rosters to try to beat you. Now the Chiefs are having a pivot in their style and their approach so that it's it's a zigzag the entire way instead of you're just running a straight vertical route and the teams can try to find pursuit angles to catch up to you. Yeah, it's almost like their their marketing strategy in Mexico, right? Like Mark Donovan talked about how, you know, we're not one of the more, you know, we're like middle of the pack in terms of popularity there. So our marketing strategy is going to be to zig when other people zag. It looks like the league is, has tried to say, hey, we're going to catch up to the Chiefs this way. And they're like, yeah, we're over here now, guys. Like, right. and, that's, and, that's what, and that's what this has all been about. And that's what's... I'm glad you picked up on what I was putting down there. Um, and that's why I used the football reference that I did to where, you know, they're trying to get a pursuit and go on a vertical route. And the Chiefs are like, no, we just ran an option route. We're going a different way. Yep. We'll yep. see it's a little a bit. Oh, look, it's a dig route. <laughs> so, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that goes about. Uh, one other guy I wanted to get your impression on, especially because, you know, Clyde Edwards Solaire, like, maybe didn't get a uh, pass his conditioning test or something and landed on the pup to the list for 12 hours earlier in the week. But um, Todd, we don't need to speculate on things. <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco. Well, Andy said that he got his, you know, he pa- passed his, all his testing. So um, there was some sort of, that's what he finally said Tuesday after, you know, um, after Clyde Bridgelaire was immediately back at practice. Um, uh, but let's, let's just say I was never too worried about it when I saw him on there. Right. Like, like right. I mean, I know I had to write the web article and everything, but when I saw that, people were like, Nick, what are we gonna do? Should we trade for Kareem Hunt? Should we do this? And I'm like, it's fine. Just, dude. just let things give play it out. give it till the morning. <laughs> just, just let things play out, man. Like, how many times have people tried to get all all wild about something and and had the instant reaction? Like, just let things play out. Like, things yeah. take time. They already knew. They already knew about this. They already got whatever strategy they're gonna do and adjust to. Like, I mean, you know, it's not like you know. It's not like Clyde was the most important player of the offense. Well, and it's one guy you've been impressed with early on is is Isaiah Pacheco. So, just what are your what are your thoughts on seeing I'm, him? In I'm in, I'm intrigued by him. <laughs> well, I, I okay. So I put words in your mouth, but it seemed yeah, like you were I'm also used to that. <laughs> it like it seemed like you were also impressed because you talked about him, you know, his speed and and some of the things that he showed, kind of flashing a little bit um, once you actually saw him in person up there at camp. I'm intrigued by him. We'll see what happens when the pads come on and in preseason games and how well he hits the hole versus what I was watching in in uh, his college tape because there were some of the explosiveness wasn't there at times and he he didn't have a great feel for when to be patient versus when to accelerate and so I'm hoping he finds that balance with Kansas City and if he can then. He's going to have a good career here. It's just a matter of how long does it take him to find that because Claude edwards is still struggling to find the whole, you know, almost four years later, you know, and, and that level of patience that he needs to have. And that's another thing I'm going to be interested to kind of watch up there when I get time is kind of what are they doing running wise? What's their strategy? Are they, are they, are they wanting to do a whole bunch of RPO again? Are they wanting to try to do, you know, zone? Are they wanting to do man blocking? Like what, what do they have up their sleeve? Because, you know, it's fine to be versatile, but I'd, I'd rather you be really good at something instead of just versatile and, and iffy at a lot of things. Well, and that's the thing. I, I, 
I'm, you know, we talked last year, like, like the way teams were playing them, we wanted to see the chiefs line up and, and run. Yeah. Like establish more of a power run game at times to force teams to make a decision. Like if you're going to let us get five yards, every whack, you know, just crashing up the middle behind, you know, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, that's fine. We can beat you that way too. The chiefs never really made that kind of adjustment last year. Um, and I think part of it was because Tyree kill existed, right? Like he was one of the the best receivers in the NFL, one of the best weapons they had, but sir, I certainly think that they have an offensive line capable of, of establishing a power run game. Um, and, and I, and, and look, I mean, I think that that plays maybe to the strengths of some of the running backs and some of the running backs they brought in, you've still got some shifty guys, uh, you know, like certain bringing back Jarek McKinnon and guys like that, that can be effective, you know, in the flats passing game or, or things like that. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think the chiefs, you know, they've already zigzagged a little bit in terms of their personnel. Will they also do it in terms of uh, the style of offense and play calling? Uh, we know Andy Reed, you know, loves to evaluate that stuff and isn't scared to, you know, to, to make changes and to, uh, um, and to dig deep into the playbook to come up with something. So it'll be interesting to see because they've got the horses to do it, I think, if they want to. And I think, again, that, that, that if they do that, that changes the way defenses have to play you, and then it creates more opportunities down the field for Patrick Mahomes. Right, and, and the kicker of it is, is, I mean, defenses are playing. They did with the Bills. They did, they did with the Chiefs, and then they started doing with the Bills too. Teams are going. Teams are starting to play a lot more cover two last year. Yeah, but they don't want to get beat over the top anymore. I mean, like that's just part of the reality of it. So you're going to have to be more effective inside that you know five to fifteen yard range. And if teams like the Bengals in the AFC Championship game are going to rush three and drop the rest in zone, they're literally telling you run the ball down our throat. And then you just keep running the ball down their throat. You control yeah. possession. Your pass rush stays off the field. Your defense doesn't get tired. And you just run it down their throat and move it the entire way. But then also have that ability to be explosive when you have to play action pass on the top of it and be able to do that part of it or the screen game or whatever may come when they start being more aggressive. The Chiefs are just, you know, it's one of those parts of it where they're, they need to add more balance like to this offense. And so they, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the run compared to what they've done with what we talked about with the receivers. Cause that's going to determine, you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of what, how their results finish this year. And I think, honestly, I think that's the chief's best chance to win the AFC West for seventh straight time. Um, and, and go far in the playoffs again. And, and listen, if that means Patrick Mahomes isn't averaging 300 yards a game and doesn't have, you know, 40 to 50 touchdowns, but it does end with another parade next February. I think that's a trade-off that, that everybody in that locker room, uh, you know, Andy and Pat included would happily take. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they do that. I did want to hit highlight one uh, couple guys on the defensive side too, though. <clears throat> I mean, it certainly looks like, um, Joshua Williams may end up having a pretty significant role with this team, especially, uh, with Rashad Fenton on the pup list and, and his availability in, in camp at, you know, uh, uncertain at this point. I mean, I think the, they still expect him back at some point during camp. And I, I wouldn't worry too much if he's able to get a couple of weeks under his belt in camp uh, about his ability to step in as a veteran guy, you know, he knows the scheme. So, uh, I, I think. I think he'd be able to come back in and do just fine, but 
I mean, Trent McDuffie obviously is the number one pick. You expect him to be the starter. Uh, Joshua Williams coming from a, you know, a smaller college level, you know, HBCU guy. Um, there was some question about how he would uh, adjust. And look, there's a lot more milestones to come in training camp and in preseason games before we get to the season opener at Arizona. But Joshua Williams looks like a guy who um, they're going to have to lean on a lot. And it looks like he's up to the challenge so far. Yeah. I mean, the it's, it's funny because people describe the uh, one of the Kelsey, uh, I believe it was, it was either a deep cross or a corner out. I think it was a corner out um, in practice on Wednesday or not on Wednesday, on Thursday. Sorry, my days are all mixed up because my off days changed because of camp for a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, we're recording this. It's on a Friday and I don't, I feel like it's a Wednesday, so I'm all over the place with that because that's when I normally start work each week. Um, but yeah, with, with Joshua Williams, like I mean, he's got good clothing speed. He's athletic. He's got long arms, and I mean, when he was going against Kelsey there, he understood to take away Kelsey's right arm to be able to swat at the ball. And people, you know, people were describing it as an incompletion when it actually technically wasn't. I mean, you know, Williams got in there and made it look like an incompletion, which is good because the refs aren't going to throw a flag on that, but. Um, he, he was very savvy, very smart ahead of his time about the technique used to be able to make that happen. But like I said, he also had the athletic ability, the speed and the size to be able to take advantage of what he has available to him and his, in his tool belt per se, to be able to kind of be as effective as he, as he's capable of at this stage without a ton of game experience going against one of the potential future hall of fame tight ends and, you know, making him have a difficult play on that. That was a, that's a good start. And you're hoping if he's able to, and even if he struggles and has some growing pains along the way, like this is kind of what you drafted. You drafted for him and McDuffie to kind of become your starters long-term in an ideal world and trying to figure out a way to keep LeJerry Sneed inside as a corner where he really shines at and can kind of help with the safety inside corner spot. And then that helps Fenton potentially if he's an inside corner too. And you're, you know, you're, you're in my opinion, you're okay with taking some lumps if it means that long term those are those are positions you don't have to worry about for the next handful of years and can let them grow together. Yeah. Now early returns good on him. Um, you know, there's the safety situation um, is is another interesting uh, aspect of the secondary. I think. I mean, Justin Reed obviously coming in, um, replacing Ty, Tyron Matthew as as the starter there at strong safety. Look, I don't know. I can't, it's hard to remember a guy who has won the offseason uh, more than Justin Reed, at least from a, a PR standpoint. I think uh, um, with his with his smile and with every press conference, um, you know, certainly the, the media and the fans, I think, um, you know, love that guy. But is, is that combination, Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill, you know, and, and look, we're hearing that Thornhill is stepping up as a leader and doing all the things he needs to do. How, how worrisome is it to have those guys as your starting tandem, or, or do you feel pretty comfortable that those guys can get the job done on the back end? I must say something, and I know I've, I could have said it earlier, but I, I needed to wait let things play out. Um, I think part of the blessing and moving on from Tyreek Hill and moving on from Tyra Matthew is I think he got rid of some of the negative vibes on that football team and just kind of some of the distractions that were coming with, with some of the stuff. And I, I mean, I, I just, I think that I, th 
I think those guys kind of moving on and, and getting a change of scenery, I think that's good for them. But I think it's even better for the Chiefs in terms of like, you got guys that are going to focus on football. It's not going to stray. There's not going to be, I just don't think you're going to have the same um, lack of focus at times that there could be there because of what may be going on in non-football settings. Yeah. Justin Reed, like, I mean, look, obviously Spagnuolo's system is not for the faint of heart, uh, but he's a Stanford guy. Um, and, you know, so that means he can process to the high level. You don't get into Stanford if you're not, you know, uh, intelligent. And I think he's shown he's got a pretty high football IQ through the years. I, I think he'll be just fine. Um, I think Juan Thornhill is, is going to, you know, he's in a contract year, which is Therese Paler, you always say, is undefeated. Um, and I think he's as healthy as he's been since his, his rookie season. I think he's, uh, regained some confidence toward the end of last year. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, to me, there were uh, the pass rush in the secondary were the, were the biggest question marks, but I think, I mean, so far they have ticked off those boxes you want to see along the way. I mean, again, there's a long way to go, you know, six weeks or whatever, five, six weeks until the season opener, but to me, it seems like they're on track or ahead of schedule for what you'd like to see, um, you know, to, to feel comfortable going into the season with, with where the defense is at. Yeah, it'll be, the, it'll be interesting. Like I said, once the bads get on, I think that's when we'll start finding out some real answers, not just the first day, but a, a totality of days combined over time. I think we'll start to give us some of the answers we're looking for, who kind of shies away from hits, who's embraces hits, who lays the hits, who, who kind of, you know, not a big fan of them. Um, all those yeah. things combined, who who has alligator arms and they're going over the middle and make it laid out, you know, those type of things, like all those combined, that, that's when you start finding out the answers. So I think I think there's things that the, like probably the coaches and the, and the front office see on tape right now that they're encouraged by athletically. But I think they all kind of wonder too, okay, like once the pads come on, we can really start evaluating kind of kind of what they need to. Uh, speaking of the pads coming on next week, when that happens, that's when you really can start to evaluate the offensive and defensive line. Um, you know, talking to, to Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney this week and talking about what it takes to build chemistry and camaraderie up front. They said there there's, it's just reps. Like it's just, it's a matter of playing together, right? It's a matter of getting those reps in. Um, and, and look, um, you know, other than Lucas Niang, who's hurt, you've got the rest of the starting offensive line back, right? So they've had reps in the past. But especially if they're going to make some tweaks to how they approach, say, the run game and go to more of a power style uh, and, and fewer RPOs and things like that, I think it's important that the guys get reps together. So how critical does that – I mean, look, I know there's no, like, hard deadline for when – when, uh, you know, Orlando Brown Jr. has to report to camp, you know, and, and Andy Reid certainly hasn't said like, ah, he's got to be here by this day. If he's going to, if he's going to be in the starting rotation, at least if he has, he hasn't said it publicly. Right. Um, but I, I, the answer is still sooner rather than later, right? When the pads come on, the more time that Orlando Brown Jr. has with the rest of what is projected to be the starting offensive line, the better ahead of week one, right? Yeah, I mean, once the pass come on, like that's that's when he honestly he really honestly needs to be up at camp and 
working together with his teammates, working with Tooney on how they're going to do this combo block. How are they going to do this double team? How are they going to do a chip when they get to this level if they need to? Like all those all those little nuances of run blocking, if they're going to do that together. Um, yeah, that's I, that's when he needs to be able to be in tandem with the tight ends and with and with with Tooney on that on that part of it. Well, and, and pass blocking too. I mean, the depth of your set, you know, like, like, you know, when, and you know, when, and when, and where do you have help coming from in certain situations, whether it's a chip from the tight end or, or whether it's, you know, Tooney, you know, like, um, you know, coming off his own combo block where he pushes a guy toward Creed and then bounces back out to help, you know, on, on a potential inside rush, that kind of thing. Like, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff like that in terms of, of footwork and, and things like that and, and how deep you're going to come back to, to make sure that you're creating a pocket for Patrick Mahomes that, that they've still got to work out and that, frankly, Orlando Brown Jr. wasn't always great at last year. So, uh, you know, more, more reps and, and more uh, familiarity with those guys is never going to be a bad thing. So, I mean, to put it, to put it bluntly, when pads come on is when, it's gonna, when he, his absence is really going to actually start genuinely hurting the team. So, you know, he'll be a couple weeks behind if he stays out the entire camp while they're up in St. Joe and each he'll just be a day behind each time that that happens. Yeah. And that's, um, I mean, that's just the situation that he's, he's put the team in. And I know that publicly they're not, you know, that you know, Andy and Patrick are talking about, well, you know, it's just business. He'll be here when he gets here, that kind of thing. Um, but especially like you said, once the pads come on, I think there will be growing anxiety um, within the locker room and within the organization, the longer that he is out. Um, I, that's just the reality of it. And that's always going to be the reality when you've got a team with championship aspirations, but uh, Roderick Johnson right now, I mean, they've shown no inclination to bounce Joe Tooney out to left tackle. Um, you know, Roderick Johnson has been getting the reps there. That was true in, in OTAs and minicamp. It remains true. Now that they've gotten to training camp and then you've got Garen Christian as the backup swing tackle there. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Roderick Johnson and, and what is gained or lost if the chiefs have to go into the season with him as the left tackle? I, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, I, I think if, if it's getting close to when the season starts, then you're putting Joe Tooney at that, at the left tackle spot. Yeah. Like if that's what ends up having to happen, then that then that's the move you're making. You don't have and then to. Then Nick make Allegretti him. slides in at left guard, probably. Correct. And then your line is what it is, where Wiley and Gennard are working out at the right tackle spot, and you're going from there. Because for me personally, I don't think you're seeing. I, I mean, I don't have information on this. I just don't think you're seeing Niang anytime soon. Yeah. Like people they keep asking about him. I mentally, I've already prepared for with the injury that he had. I'm like, okay, maybe they get him back around Thanksgiving. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe Veach had said he might be back at the end of training camp, but I, that I think is when he could come back and start working out. Right. And then you've got to add time uh, for him to work himself back into playing shape uh, and then work himself into the rotation. Well, and with, with him being on PUP, you can put him back on PUP again and kind of, you know, continue that through part of the regular season there and just kind of let him work his, work his way back when he actually technically can. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they don't have to end his season on IR like, like, like they had to do with Justin Ross. So like that didn't have to happen right now. I mean, just keep him on PUP, then let him be on PUP for the start of regular season to make whatever decision you have to run. I think it's like somewhere between week six, week six to week eight, depending on what they've done with the, 
with the new regular season thing. It used to be after week six, but there may be another week or two with how the how the schedule works out now with that extra game each year. But all that combined, I mean, with Roger Johnson, I mean, look, he's an athletic ta- he's an athletic offensive lineman. He's capable of working in at tackle. Um, ideally, he's going to be more of an athletic style of tackle that you're kind of if you're wanting to run some of the zones, if you're wanting to get out in space screen wise. Like that's kind of what he is. We need somebody who can quickly get up to the second level. That's the type of guy he is. But my opinion, he's more of a more of an athletic guard than he is tackle. I mean, he's capable and versatile to play play the spots on either side. So I mean, that's the reason that they signed him is because of his versatility. That's what I saw with him in Houston, and that's why I had him on my free agent list when he was a free agent last year because it was an option for the Chiefs. Was it going to be the best option? No, but I mean, that's why he was on the market and he wasn't getting paid by the Houston Texans like you know, Tunzel. Um, so that's just kind of reality on that one. But I mean, I, I don't, I would be surprised if they go into the season with him starting that left tackle, Yeah. but I think they're going to give him every opportunity and every rep to earn that op, you know, to earn that, earn that chance. But at the end of the day, if I'm in their shoes, I'm putting Tooney at left tackle and now Grady's going to be at left guard, but you know, you don't know Orlando Brown's situation right now. So until you definitively know that you don't have to make, you know, a ton of, wholesale changes along that offensive line. I mean, I, I would say the fact that they're keeping Tooney at left guard for now is probably a signal that they feel like Orlando Brown Jr. will be there at some point. Um, and if Orlando Brown Jr. is serious about being with the team long term, look, you made your point. You know, you you wanted more money. You wanted more guaranteed money. You skipped the first week of training camp. But um, if you're serious about being a team guy, right? Like your if your main goal is to win championships and you want to be with this team long term and help them win championships, at some point you've got to show that rather than just say that. And I think next week is is when it's look, it's Missouri, it's the show me state, right? Next week's the week he needs to show that that's what his commitment is. Cause he's gonna get sixteen point six, sixteen point seven million no matter what this year. Um, you know, that's still, that's maybe not the life changing money he was hoping for this off season, but that's still a pretty nice chunk of change, um, for, for, you know, those of us who don't win the mega millions, uh, jackpot this week. I don't call it the mega millions anymore. I call it, uh, my 401k plan. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And then, and then um, you, how, and then how you much do to, I get if you win? I don't know, Todd, it depends on what your attitude is towards me. Well, I mean, I, you know, I have I have yet to uh, to hug you. Um, I, I assume Colin's been written out of the will after after the hug after recent weeks. Um, <laughs> Why would Colin be my will? I'm just, I mean, if will. he, I just to the extent that he was, like he's he's out now. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna put that on Colin. He's you know, <laughs> he's, only, he's only seven eight years old right now, man. I ain't gonna put that on the little man. All right, all right. So he um, gets a million now. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> the the jumps you make sometimes are, are uh, you know they're very unique sir they're very very unique um i don't know i mean i, I would have to talk to a uh, probably talk to a financial attorney um yeah. Yeah. knows that type of stuff understands taxes and you know that type of stuff because i i think <laughs> from what i've read you can only give a you only give people fourteen thousand dollars as a gift before you have to claim it as a tax, you know, until they get taxed on it. Maybe that's changed since I saw that. Well, we could I and mean, we could structure some sort of trust fund. I think um. <laughs> these are these are scenarios and opportunities that I hope I have to explore. <laughs> 
That's right. That's right. So, uh, big question though. I mean, uh, if you win, will you still do uh, the fourth and one podcast next week? Oh yeah, man. This is part. This is a part of living for me, man. L I V I N G. So there you go. Next week, you'll be talking to a billionaire podcast host. Sorry, I couldn't. Uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do Matthew McConaughey's thing the same way. <laughs> My enunciation wasn't working out there, so I had to slow down on spelling that one out. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I mean it happens, but um, <laughs> technically it wouldn't be a billion though, because I saw how much. Well, because you responded on the comments of what you know, you started trying to use words and numbers, and I was I was done. Well, I'm just saying, point. like like take. Take the take the lump sum and then invest that in in real estate or you know or, or other uh, you know stocks bonds securities and uh, even with an average ROI over twenty nine years you're going to outpace what you would get from inflation if you uh, or from uh, you know from taking the annuity. All I'm saying um, is that's a that's lot. the savvy play. There's a lot of taxes that I saw we're going to get taken out on that. There are, but as you know, I mean, just just get the same attorney Amazon has, and you won't have to pay anything in taxes um, because that's the way that works. So I don't know what any of that means, and I'm not exploring that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna put a lid on that one <laughs> and move down the road. <laughs> All right. Well, I got nothing else. I think that uh, that covers week one of training camp, um, and then uh, I look forward to the uh, scenic drive up to St. Joe some more next week, <laughs> and uh, we can chat more about what we see now once the pads come on hey matt happy mega millions to you and yours okay ditto take care kids